So it's really good to see you again, Laura. And uh, as we had discussed last time, we can talk about uh, dependent origination or Petitu Samupada, which most students in the beginning see that it's horrendous or it's difficult or there's a lot to it. Um, and that's how I thought also. But, uh, but another issue was also how to figure it out. In other words, if you've got all of the right pieces to the puzzle, but you don't know how to put it together, that's where the work comes in. Okay, so I can hand all of that to you directly because been there, done that. <laughs> you how this stuff puts together and it's actually quite an interesting way um, that that it's that is taught in the purpose for it and the first thing that we can go to is is that this is in fact the detail uh, explanation of the second noble truth that this is only second noble truth stuff the cause of dukkha and yes. that um, the understanding how it comes up, right? Mm -hmm. Deconstructing the the process. And, uh... and if you see Petitu Sumupada from that perspective, then you can see that the first step of Petitu Samupada is ignorance, mm -hmm. and the last step is dukkha. Okay, and right smack dab in the middle are feelings. The feelings of liking and not liking when they are strong is greed and ill will. Right? That's really all there is to it. When you understand it from that perspective, that the particular samupada is uh, just the details of how we get from ignorance to feelings and ignorant feelings to dukkha. That's the whole story. Now, the basic foundation for it uh, is the the five aggregates, which is nothing more than the uh, the Satipatthana. We've already talked about many times the four foundations of mindfulness, which is also the four aspects of Anapanasati, the body, the feeling, the mind, and the mind's objects. Okay. But the five aggregates that were turning the four foundations of mindfulness into the five aggregates is, is that we're actually looking at, instead of the mind objects, the process of getting the mind's objects. And in that regard, we have five. We have the body, the feeling, and the mind is broken into three groups as a process so that's why there's a five to four combination. Another way of, of understanding that from, let us say, modern um, uh, soft sciences is the, the concept of structure versus function. Okay, and we can use the human anatomy for that because it makes things make sense. Um, the structure of the stomach and its function are related. 
But when we get up to the throat, we find out that the structure of the throat is there for several functions. It's for swallowing food. It's for breathing in and out. It's for burping. It's for um, a lot of stuff. And, and so uh, the functions and the structure. So we can say then that the structural elements would be the four foundations of mindfulness and the functional elements are the five aggregates. Okay, okay. so um, can, could you repeat that? <laughs> yes, the four foundations of mindfulness, the body, feelings, mind, and mind's objects go through a transformation from the structure into the function. And the function is still the body, the feelings, consciousness, perception, and memory. Consciousness, perception, and memory are the three parts of the mind that are part of the five aggregates. And all five of those aggregates are there in Petitu Samupada. The body is the one that's the most confusing, but we'll get right into that in just a moment. But all of the other uh, aspects are there. And when we add ignorance at one end and dukkha at the other, we won't, we've got more than half the show already there. So it's really not that complicated. Okay. So the thing to do then is to start then with the five aggregates. And then we'll add the rest of Petitya Samuppada later. And then we will go back and revisit uh, the, uh, the five aggregates at a much deeper level. But the beginning introductory level is, is for us to come to understand that there is nothing permanent about the five aggregates. That's the important, one of the most important teachings of the Buddha is about a Nietzsche. Things are changing. And if there, things are changing, you can see, in fact, the body has changed. The body that you're in now is not at all the body of the infant that was born. It is not at all the body of the old man who dies. That, in fact, sometimes the transition is so profound that it's unrecognizable. The height changes. We're not always the same height. And guess what? We don't really have much control over how tall we are other than buying shoes. But other than that, we can't much change the heights that we have. And um, also dealing with our weight and bodybuilding, you can tell that uh, because of the profession that you're in, is it's a long, hard, slow process to make any changes at all to the body. Yes. <laughs> and we would we don't like that so much. We would like, in fact, if we could just be the age that we want to be today and be a woman tomorrow and uh, a beauty queen the next day and uh, a Donald Trump lookalike the day after that. I mean, we can't change the body. We can't change the stature. We can't change much of anything about it. And yet we cling to the body, desperately cling to the body as me. 
is. Okay, if the body were merely the body and every human being had the attitude that a body is just a body, most of the industries would go out of business. Yes, I wouldn't have a job. <laughs> yeah, you wouldn't have a gym. People didn't care about the body. No, it's me that's the body. It's always I want my body to be different than it is. And in fact, the reality is, is that the self at best is merely a guest in the body. And that there is absolutely no way for that guest to take over that body. That the body is going to remain the boss, even with this guest there. But the body has to put up with the fact that in many cases, it's a rowdy guest. <laughs> Very demanding. <laughs> uh huh. But yeah. the clothing industry, the fashion industry, the makeup industry, much of the medical industry is all about I am the body. Much of the sports industry is all about I am the body. Even warfare is this is my place. This is my territory. My body belongs here and yours belongs buried under it. Okay, that's the way that we have this concept of this clinging to the body. And that's why we want to, in fact, uh, discuss the five uh, aggregates um, is because the foundation of these aggregates, there's no self there. You cannot take the body and put it on, let us say, a gurney or on a, um, a slab or on an operating table and have the surgeon go in there with a knife and find you. Why not? If this is your body, then you're in that body controlling the body. Why can't the surgeon find a you in there? A molecule. Okay. And yet Christians declare that there is such a thing. They call it the soul. That the soul inhabits the body, but the soul is permanent. Right? And they can't find one. How many burns to the stakes have they had? And no, no souls pop up. That in fact, India, they've got a technique. I saw this, in fact, when I was in India at the Burning Hats. This is an area on the river in Varanasi or Benares. And the Brahmins literally own so much property because wealthy people have to give land in order to go through the ceremony of being uh, cremated on the side of the Ganges by these Brahmins. And they have a number of places up and down the river. Some of them are close together, spread along. Um, and some people that don't have much money will actually bring whatever belongings they have and wait in line to well, die. Yeah. First come, first serve is not the plan. First died, first served. But unfortunately, these guys have to stand in just one line in one place because most of the Brahmins won't bother to, to uh, ceremonialize these guys because they don't own enough land. But in any case, there they are with a small fire Perhaps much of the fire is left over from the last 
uh, burning corpse. And they don't really have enough of a fire there uh, to burn all the body all at once. And so they normally have a ceremony where they bend the pelvis and break the legs so that now they can put what meat's left on the legs on top. But there's also then a little bit later, they have the ceremony that starts once the nostrils start bubbling with uh, boiling snot and all of that, that when the brain starts to boil, that's what they're wanting. And with great ceremony, they will take a shillelagh, a piece of wood that's got a burl on it, you know, and is made like an original kind of ancient club. Those things, by the way, they, the, these burls or these clubs that they have are some of their most sacred items. And they're well guarded and they pass them back and forth to the various priests so that they can take this shillelagh and with all gusto and a great deal of chanting done by the other Brahmins, he'll whack that skull, crack it open, and juice and brains, hot brains just splatter all over these Brahmins while a great big gust of smoke, or actually it's um, uh, steam, goes off up into the air. And this is the release of the soul. Mm. All right. Now, I, I ask you to find where in that steam and all of those bits of uh, uh, boiled and cooking brains will you find a soul? Yeah, probably nowhere since uh, <laughs> there's no soul there. That's the whole problem that there nothing has an inherent identity. That uh, uh, one of the stories in the suttas is about uh, uh, King Melinda and Nargajuna in a conversation where, with permission from the king, Nargajuna has the soldiers take his king's chariot apart. The wood, the uh, wheels, the center pole, the basket, all that is spread around. And then he asks the king, where is the chariot? The fact is, is that the chariot was originally a mental concept. The first chariot was an original mental concept, and then that mental conceptions improved it, and that the actual chariot is only an idea with formations of wood. But then where is the wood? But the important question is, where is the chariot? The chariot is only a mental concept in reality. There is no selfness, no chariotness inherent there. And the same thing is true with every automobile. Though I've known some people to actually name their car, give their car a personality. The fact is, is that that car is um, just a collection of parts. And it was collected together based upon a concept or a plan, but there is no carness in that car. But all of those parts put together add something new. And what is that? Transportation. I see. Yeah. So okay, we, make it, so uh, we make a different part, uh, a thing, like a concept, and then we name it like this and we get stuck uh, with this form. This formation, right? This uh, collective. Right, uh, it's it stuck that way. And in fact, the the 
the point is, is that there is no inherent selfness there in any of the five aggregates. There is no self in the body that the body is just the mush that is burned upon the funeral pyre. That's all there is to a body. And we also recognize that within the feelings, there is no self there, though we often identify with our feelings as part of our language. I am sad, I am sick, I am tired, I am angry, I am frustrated. That kind of language indicates that the emotion, when it comes, is strong, so strong that whatever that guest in the body is, it actually now becomes a guest of or is in fact captured by the anger, the frustration, etc. like that. Mm-hmm. Because we identify I am the anger. Mm. So the these five aggregates is the source of the self that we have as the things that we identify with. Now, the next one, which is actually an important part of Paticca Samapati, is Vinaya or consciousness. And I'll give you some of the points about that later as we put things together. But the important thing is, is that when we talk about consciousness, we mean that we have a sense organ that can sense something. Yes, it's right. uh, what, um, okay, yeah. In the body, you mean, or? Well, in the senses, your eye, when, the, uh, for instance, if you're asleep in bed and someone shows a bright light or the sun comes up in a way that now the sun, direct sunlight is right on your face, that light will wake you up, okay? Which means that you become conscious because of the eye and the light caused consciousness that woke you up. Somebody can splash water in your face, cold water, and the sense of the water and the coldness of the water will then bring consciousness and you will wake up. So consciousness is not the sense of the cold, for example. It's the knowing of the cold, right? It's the knowing of the cold. It's not the cold necessarily. So if you can spill that cold water on the floor and the floor is not going to wake up. Yes, yes. Yeah. But the human will wake up because of consciousness. The floor is not conscious. So the ability of knowing. Uh Uh-huh. Okay. So, in, in a very, very small way, a light switch is conscious because it knows when it is thrown from uh, off to on that now, because it's off to on, it's his job to feed electricity down the wire. That's a way, a child's way of thinking about it. Electrical engineers will jump, jump all over me for saying it like that. <laughs> <laughs> But the point is, is that you can't throw that cold water on the light switch and have it turn on. Can't shine a light on that light switch. It's only got that one way of doing it. It's only got one kind of sense to where the humans, we have a lot. We have also touch. We have hearing somebody. In fact, often when we wake up, we wake up with an alarm. What is an alarm? It's a sound and the sound in the ears and we will wake up. That waking up, that's consciousness. 
Now, when we're up all day, we are still conscious because we're ready to receive data from our senses. And we receive data like sight from the eyes, hearing from the touch, taste, but there's also a sixth sense, and that is the mind, but the data that the mind is looking at is not here now new data of reality, it's old data. When we start thinking about something and putting things together, we're thinking about taking things from the past and rearranging them. That's what we're doing. That's what that chariot was. If the guy who built the first chariot didn't know about wheels, it did not know about a ridge pole attached to a horse, and didn't know about a basket, he could have not made the first chariot. Yes. Right? He had to know about those things and that putting them together then was a conceptualized kind of thinking that we do, which is also the sixth sense. Okay. And so this is why we have the uh, positions like my ideas, my plans, copyrights, um, patents, that kind of stuff is to protect intellectual knowledge because people attach to that's mine, that's me. I am that drawing of a helicopter. I am that drawing of a car or I am that chariot is basically what we do when we attach then to concepts, right? And so that consciousness then has that memory bank really built into it. And that in fact, whenever we understand something, the eyes themselves just receive data and the data that it receives is in the form of shapes, colors, and movement. And the rest of it then is put together with our past to yeah. fit it into a concept. To understand it, to make sense so of it. So to understand it, to make yeah. sense of it, exactly. So now we have all five aggregates. We have the body, we have the feelings, we, which we haven't discussed at all. We have this consciousness, we become conscious of something, we perceive it by adding our memory to it to come up with an understanding. So I'll add an additional point then about Paticca Samapada is there is now the point that's not part of the five aggregates, and that is the Salayatana. Now the Atana is actually all of the senses, but the Salayatana is the internal sense or us making sense out of things. And so we can actually say it depends then upon how we use words. That we have now just stumbled upon two kinds of consciousness. And I'll use the examples of that with the word seeing. Like I see, I see green, I see a color. But adding the word color, adding the word green is part of a perception. But let us just say without the description of it, just the eyes can just see the green. Okay. But there's another way of using the word seeing, and that is, oh, I see what you mean. I understand what you're saying. That's the second kind of consciousness. That's mm -hmm. the kind of consciousness that Westerners are considering and thinking about. That's what philosophers are on about. 
But the Buddha is about all six of the kind of consciousnesses that have to do with that sense. Okay? So, so we take the so five senses, we add our past to it, and we come up with this sixth sense. So that's the what we just talked about. It's the concocting, right? The the making sense of uh, what we see. Mm-hmm. We try to make sense of it, but we do so by things from the past. So yes. if we have ignorance built into the things from our past, in other words, when we were a small child, here's an example: a small child has a puppy jump on her and bite her. And she remains afraid of dogs for the rest of her life. Her brother, who happened to have been, let us say, a twin, was standing right there when the puppy jumped on his sister, and he liked that. And he has been an animal lover his whole life since then because of one event that happened when they were, say, two years old. So, yeah, it's not... uh... Yeah, it it uh, changes rea- reality or how we understand things, right? Because of the ignorance of those two children, neither one of them understanding dog. Yeah, one likes it and one don't. Right, one likes it and one don't like it. Without going any further into understanding, they stop at that point of ignorance. Mm-hmm. Because okay. they don't see that they like it, right? And they don't see that they don't like it, and that's different. Because they're not making any more investigation. They stopped with that perception, and they are that uh, that kind of consciousness, that kind of understanding. They they stopped, and they put that in their memory banks. And they every time they come across a dog, that's the only memory that they have. It may not be a visual memory of when it was uh, when they were two years old, but the memory of the feeling comes up. Yes, yes. The feeling, maybe not a, uh, uh, an, uh, an image, maybe not a little video movie. Maybe not the squeals of the girl, maybe not the barking of the puppy, but the feeling of terror is what's remembered. So that that's called, by the way, the sal, uh, uh, the Sankara. Yes. The Sankara is the memories that we have that we store, which are, um, let us say, out of date. Beyond useful processing, do not do not buy, do not sell after you know, a period of time, and yet we are constantly using really, really old data. Yeah, like all the times. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. And we begin to believe then that that's that part of that per- girl's personality, that she is afraid of dogs. That's just who she is, right? So we make that part of herself. But that fear of dogs is not part of herself. You can sit her down with a new puppy when she's 21 years old and she'll fall in love with that puppy if you can get her to stop being terrified long enough to look at the puppy and how adorable it is. Okay, so she can change. Yeah. Ah, that's the whole point of this teaching, that we can change how we feel about things. Yeah, we can change our old memory banks. 
that we are not stuck with it. Okay, now the last one would be perception itself that some of us, um, um, again, uh, begin to identify with perception itself. Like, look how smart I am, or I've got an enormous IQ, that kind of thing. Some people are slow, some people are fast, but guess what? Perception can be trained. Just like, and the, and the funny one that I learned, it took a long time to understand what was going on here, but an IQ test does not measure IQ at all anyway. It measures one's ability to take an IQ test. It does not measure IQ. Yeah, and, and and often when people take IQ tests over and over again, their score their score tends to go up because it's a learning process. Okay, so there's perception for you. Perception is changeable, also that it's not a fixed entity and it's not me. And so, so the perception last is a is it a reaction time? What what is it exactly? Well, you can actually say that perception does have to do with reaction time. And when the reaction is very, very simple. Then uh, it would be called raw uh, reaction time. And that, too, can be modified that, in fact, martial artists and sports people tend to have a much faster reaction time because they've trained at fast reaction times where people who have never trained in fast reaction times are pretty slow. An example of a game that kids play is what it, what we called was slap hands, to where one person has his hands over like this and his opponent has it like that. And the one who has his hands up like this is trying to slap the hand of the other guy that's this way, and he's going to jiggle this hand to get this guy nervous, and then he's going to slap, okay, and the reaction time. So this is a training for reaction time. That's one of the things that they don't train drivers for. Driver's education does not train for reaction time. But race car drivers, they train for reaction time because it's important for them. Guess yes. what? It's important for regular drivers when they're driving too fast. <laughs> <laughs> so, yes, perception, but perception is not um, always just reaction time, because we're, when we measure reaction time, we're measuring something very simple. Sometimes the reaction is more complicated. For instance, seeing a red screen and when the red screen turns green, we click the mouse. That will measure reaction time. But that's not the same reaction as a high speed uh, racer on a Formula One just happens to have a, a person wander out onto the racetrack right in front of him. He's got to now do a whole lot of stuff in a hurry. He's got to already know what's behind him. Can he pull out of the way? Who's in front of him? What kind of maneuver can he have? And that will take another couple of microseconds, or actually a couple of hundred microseconds to do that. But if he is slow, he'll kill that person. He's got to react pretty fast, maybe a third of a second. He's got to get out of the way. 
because in a full second later, there's impact. So he's got to think pretty fast. And guess what? We need also to think pretty fast. Let us say that we are now on our own personal Formula One race course and someone call, uh, steps out of uh, the stands into our path by saying an insult. Or yes, yes. maybe you hear a big noise and uh, you see the baby drop and fall onto the floor, you know, or anything like that. How are we going to react? OK, one of the ways that we could let us say that the, that the situation uh, that happens, the guy gets angry. How fast can he catch his anger? So it's sati. Right. Can he wake up to yeah. this is anger and I should keep my mouth shut? I should not respond in anger. Let me get rid of my anger and then I can deal with the situation correctly. OK. But this means now that we have sati that we're waking up, that this is a noble way of dealing with the five aggregates. The ignoble way of dealing with the five aggregates is, oh, I am the body. Oh, I am these feelings. This is just how I feel. This is my perception. This is my way of looking at things. These are my ideas. You know, everything is selfish. And it also has the quality of being permanent, long-lasting. To where we're looking at it in a noble way by seeing that this thing is all transitory and modifiable both ignorantly and wisely so that's the five aggregates and what we're going to start working on then is how we can start manipulating these five aggregates through the whole process but basically what we can say is, is that these Sankaras that we have from childhood were formed ignorantly. Now we're going to start adding new Sankaras wisely so that when we perceive something, we're going to perceive it using new data to come up with a new piece of outcome. So when consciousness yeah. strikes. Also okay. the gods, right? And if we now can begin to control what we think, then the way that we think will, will impact us so that we feel a certain way. But what the, here's the point that makes all of this complicated is the way that I feel now will influence how I feel next time when perception digs something out of the, uh, the old pile of, uh, uh, old rubbish, the way that I'm feeling right now will be there kind of on the top of the stack. Mm -hmm. That's why someone can stub their toe and feel bad and not like it and, and to kick a shoe and somebody comes out and says, why are you kicking my shoes? And now, ah, okay, because of the anger was already there and so it kind of built up ignorantly. So something that happened even a second or two ago can be a Sankara that's going to really set you off this time because that was the top of the pile. If we know it like that, then we can start putting wholesome thoughts on our Sankara pile. More and more and more wholesome thoughts, which means that when we perceive something, we'll perceive it with a more wholesome past 
and have a more wholesome uh, saliatana or uh, concept. Mm -hmm. That's the way that we're practicing now. That's what we use these five aggregates for is to recognize there is no self there. Nothing is permanent. Everything is temporary. Everything is modifiable, both ignorantly and wisely. That in fact, we've been talking about the uh, changing the body wisely, like going to for fitness or going on a diet. We can change the body if we do it wisely. But most people who go on a diet, it doesn't work. <laughs> yeah. Because they don't do it wisely. It takes a long time. You have to really plan carefully and, and uh, uh, look for very, very long term. And also uh, because they have uh, negative emotions and sankara associated with food and uh, right because the fat guy has all kinds of negative emotions in his sankaras about him being fat mm -hmm. yeah and it's hard to bring wisdom up when all of those bad feelings are there to get in the way mm -hmm. yes. that were formed ignorantly mm -hmm. so okay so the, but when we stop identifying with the body so much and leave the body alone, it tends to take care of itself pretty well. So when we see that by operating wisely with the body, we can also begin to operate wisely with the feelings too. And operate wisely with the consciousness in the sense of the Buddha talks about it in the sense of guarding the sense doors. If you know what happens when you look at porn, then you stop looking at it. You guard the eye door. You don't, uh, if you find some porn, you just turn it off, not interested, okay? So this is the way that we can actually guard our senses. We can guard our senses by, if a situation is noisy, get out of the noisy, situation so it's you mean it's like choosing uh, the the right environment precisely so yeah. yes choosing a quiet easygoing environment by guarding the senses making our life easy for us by not having such a flood of uh, let us say unwholesome data coming in from all kinds of people this is why seclusion is good Okay, yeah, uh, to, to feel good, right? Uh, until we learn to uh, be able to handle such a, like strong uh, interaction with people. Precisely. But Later, we can do we, it with endurance. Okay. If once we have some wisdom built up, then we can handle tough situations with endurance. Mm. Okay. okay, that we can endure people insulting us. We can handle that. I'm strong enough. His insults up mean he doesn't even know who I am. Every insult he throws at me misses the target. Yeah. Okay, so, but that's a way of enduring things. This, this kind of a, uh, comes with wisdom. The beginner's wisdom would be to avoid it. Yes, yes. Just like not uh, pick up a weight that's too heavy for you. Right? right. Don't pick up weights that are too heavy for you. But when you pick up weights that are uh, uh, 
good training for you. That training then will prepare you for picking up the weights now that are not too heavy for you, but they used to be too heavy. Yes, that's yes. exactly the training that in fact, you've probably heard me say this before that that gyms and weightlifting for the body is very closely analogous to the training of the mind, mm -hmm. but yeah. also training of music is much analogous to instead of just playing one song on one musical instrument, you've got a human body that is a marvelous musical instrument and you can have a musical, wonderful uh, uh, dance filled life. If you know how to train the mind yeah. that way. OK, so you, uh, we can use music and sports and uh, weightlifting and uh, even uh, mathematics and science and uh, computer science and code and all of that kind of stuff or even psychology. That in fact, psychology needs to learn from all of these things because the, the talk therapy that mostly happens, uh, the good stuff only happens in that talk therapy session. Yes. Very little training is happening outside of that training session, but many wet therapists are now beginning to add meditation to their therapy, which means now people have to take time to start putting stuff together to see how their mind works, to recognize they can change. But all of these things are, uh, you know, kind of put together as human activities. But you can tell that, in fact, some weightlifters are absolutely excellent at weightlifting, but they're still sorry human beings. Yes, yes. <laughs> <laughs> and so they need a different kind of training. That in fact, if we are very, very happy, joyous human beings, we may not need music. Or we may not need um, uh, weightlifting. We may not need a diet. We may not need these other things that everybody thinks that they need because they attach, I am the body, I am perception, I am my memory, et cetera, like that. Uh, and so uh, this one is almost a cure-all for the guy who wants to be a famous musician, he wants to be a famous sports star, he wants to be a famous politician, he wants to be a famous doctor, he wants to be, you know, all of these things. And when he figures out that he's okay the way he is, then he'll give up the training because <laughs> he won't want to have to go do all of that stuff. Yeah, so it, yeah, yeah. It doesn't need as much um, effort. Right, and, uh, because, yeah. we're put, yeah. because we're putting in the right effort for the for the noble right effort. Rather than putting effort to get some results this far off in the future, we get the immediate benefit. That you can see, in fact, that the way that we're practicing here is that we're getting benefit from this second noble truth. Now we're going into the details of the second noble truth to figure out that it's this moment that I cause dukkha. And it's this moment is because of uh, whatever I saw or thought of whatever sensory input, I mixed more garbage in there and came out with a garbage point of view. Mm. If I always are getting wholesome stuff out of my uh, stockpile, then my thoughts will be much more wholesome. And because those thoughts are wholesome, then my feelings will be wholesome. 
that that's a major connection that we haven't talked about uh, uh, that's missing in the five aggregates. We talk about the outcome of the the consciousness, the feelings, excuse me, the consciousness, the perception, and the sankara, which give then the salayatana, and the salayatana is what impacts us. The original consciousness doesn't impact us so much as what we've made out of it. Yeah. That's what uh, contacts us. It's, uh, it's our uh, built upon our sankara. So let us say that you're standing someplace. At this particular moment, you're in the airport or you're in um, uh, out on the street and someone brushes by. You'll make nothing of it. Right, because of the situation and the environment and what's just in your mind. Because of the meaning uh, I give to this situation. Right, so they them brushing by and they, they brush you, they touch you and it means nothing. But what if that same sensation happened when you're out in the woods? Yeah. All by yourself <laughs> and then you get that, you know, going to make a big deal out of it. OK, so this is the, the, the way that we begin to understand is, is that it's not the brush. It's not that touch It's what we do with it. Yes, it is everything. That. OK, so uh, that that touch, then that contact is what brings about feelings. The feelings then um, are of three kinds. The, thir the three kinds of feelings are, number one, we liked it. We liked that touch. We liked what brushed us. We liked that taste or we liked that object. We like that pair of knickers or we like that bikini or we, you know, we like what we see. And the second one is, is that we don't like it. We don't like it, for instance, because it's in a burqa or it, it's uh, I see a burqa, not a bikini. All right. And I don't like it. And then there's a third kind of feeling, which is the one that is confusing for Western Buddhists because it's translated wrong. OK, the way that it should be translated and in the uh, let us say the way that it sits in the Pali is Dukkha Sukha Vedana. And in some cases, it's a dukkha, a sukha vedana. Now, a dukkha, sukha vedana and a sukha, a dukkha vedana are pretty close together. But what is translated is uh, a feeling that's neutral. It's neither this nor neither not. Well, guess what? A neutral feeling is not much of feeling at all. A, a feeling that is neutral doesn't even contact us. No, this third feeling is a feeling of confusion. It's a feeling of I don't know what to do with this because I either don't know it at all and I'm confused about is it good or is it bad, or it's a mixed bag that I like it and I don't like it. Mm -hmm. All right, and so it's confusion, a confused feeling. This confused feeling, one of the things we can do wisely is go back and get more input data and go through the process again. Let's get more data and more data and more data until we can solve the confusion. But mostly uh, doing confusion unwisely winds us into uh, a feeling of fear, a feeling of desire, wanting to get away, 
Uh, it comes, you've, you've heard of the fear of the unknown. So that's, that's it. We don't know what it is. All right. Here's one, UFOs. Have you ever heard of a UFO? You yes, know what a UFO is? It's an unidentified flying object. And people hate to leave things unidentified. We don't know what it is, and that's okay. Especially for the physicists or for the, um, let us say, the uh, the generals in the Air Force and, and, and those kind of guys have been dealing with UFOs for a long time. But when the UFO gets on the press and somebody hears an unidentified flying object, oh no, what could it be? Could it be the enemy's got a new aircraft? Could it be a space alien? You know, that kind of thing. That's what we do ignorantly with confusion. All right. Wisely, we can handle confusion by just simply leaving it and go get more data. Wait until, you know, some patience until we got enough data so that we know how to feel of either we like it or we don't like it. So. The liking. Now let's look at liking for for a moment. If I like something, then if I am ignorantly liking it, as opposed to wise liking it. In other words, if I just like something and I like it like it wisely, there it is. Oh, I like that. That's nice. But if we like it ignorantly, the liking turns into wanting it. Oh, I would be better off if I owned that thing. Yes, craving, right? Craving, no, well, that's where the craving starts, okay, is the wanting it. I liking it turns to wanting it, and then the wanting it uh, turns into the craving and the clinging to it. So liking is just a little bit. I like it is all right. I want it. That's where the ignorance starts going downhill dangerously. That's too far. <laughs> uh-huh. Now... Yeah. Along with that, I like it, I want it, I would be better off with it than without it. We make an additional ignorant choice, an ignorant decision of, therefore, it must be good. I like it, I want it, I need it, it must be good for me. It must be good inherently. If I don't like something, then I don't need it, I want to get rid of it, it must be bad, it must be inherently evil. And so good and evil is only an ignorant outcome of the feeling of like it and not like it. So now that I've said that, you can begin to look at how you feel about things rather than deciding whether it's good or bad. Yes, when I feel like um, I'm judging something and then I will uh, investigate and see um like right the exactly. benefits or the danger and uh, to, to right so we to, have to uh, see yeah. things clearly rather than seeing things through the sand cars of our past here's an example of that is ice versus eat evs the people who have been driving uh internal combustion engines they like that is something that they know the EVs, the electric vehicles, they don't know that. And because they don't know it, they feel uncomfortable with it. And so they will cling to the uh, the ICE cars, thinking that the EVs are somehow bad when, in fact, they don't know. Yeah. 
So that's that's a Sankara. People who don't drive, who have never driven, who have never been uh, involved with uh, internal combustion engines, they're fresh. And they're open to EVs. So young people will be buying EVs faster than old people. But that happens in everything. Yeah. Yeah. Because once you are uh, at a certain age that you already know what something is, you will keep that even if that knowledge turns into ignorance. We will still hold that piece of data. Even if the data changes in time, we'll still cling to it as if it didn't change. Yeah, I can, can see that. Yes. All right. Well, we can if you can see that people doing that with these big examples about which car to buy, you can see it that we're looking at it at reaction time of how quick do those decisions happen and can we catch it? So that it doesn't go from I like it to I want it to it's good to I got to have it to I'll murder to get it. All right. Now, the thing about um, wanting something and then getting it, we think that that's the right thing, except that look at the fact that we suffered, that we were unsatisfied, and we thought that we would be satisfied when we got it. So we were suffering before we got it. When we do get it, there is an instant elation or relief. Now I don't have to feel bad because I don't have it. But very soon that wears off. Generally, with a car, say, before the first payment is due, or by the time the first dent, yeah. or maybe the first manufacturing defect is found, and then we don't like the car anymore. Yes, I see that happening a lot. <laughs> and so now we have to take care of it. We got to make payments on it. Got to fix that dent. We got to get that manufacturing defect fixed. It's in a recall, and I got to go do all of that. Okay. So now there's Duca maintaining and keeping the car, and then later it's going to fall apart or crash or break or something's going to happen, and you're going to lose the car. So you had Duca before you got it. You had Duca while you kept it, and then the big Duca happened when you lost it. So much for liking things ignorantly. (laughs) Yeah. But if we like things wisely, we can say, oh, well, I can have fun with this, but I don't have to own it. I don't have to grab it and take it and hold on to it as if it were mine. So if I see a Lamborghini running down the street, I can just marvel, what a beautiful car that Lamborghini is, but I don't have to want one. Because if I want a Lamborghini, boy, am I buying myself a pile of trouble. (laughs) But in fact, the same thing has been true for yachts for years. I see a lot yacht, very beautiful. I like it. But if I buy that uh, that yacht, they say that a yacht is a hole that you throw money into. Yeah, and you have to... (laughs) We keep it clean. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So this is the whole idea about wanting things and wanting them we, that we don't have. If we would be wisely recognizing, I don't have to want that because I'm already good enough. I don't need that thing. Or if I do need it, I'll get it easy enough mm-hmm. that it will come easily for me. I can get that. I can handle that. 
All right, so this is the way we begin to operate within this this uh, system. And just to catch up with you, here is all of the poly words that we've trouble that we've had so far. Because we're just about at the end of it, though we can do a whole lot more to it. But covering all the bases. To start, we start with ajiva. That means uh, it's translated as not knowing. Yes. A better way of understanding it is knowing not. It's delusion, not ignorance. That's one of the big translation errors. It is not necessary. It's, uh, it's not benign ignorance. It's um, delusional ignorance. Just like that girl who got jumped by that puppy when she was two years old, she became delusional about all dogs. Yes. OK, that's delusion. That's where we start. We start not with ignorance of just not knowing, because later when we do learn, we'll know it. It's, it's delusional ignorance because when we learned it, now we will not accept new information. You can also call it wise ignorance versus uh, dumb ignorance. Um, the wise ignorance would be, here's an example of that. You're walking in the dark, it's late at night, you're on your way to the bathroom, you're woken up and you got to go to the toilet, but you don't turn on any of the lights because of some reason, other people or whatever like that, because you know your way to the bathroom. And then on your way to the bathroom, you stub your toe. Because the furniture wasn't where you remembered it in the dark. Mm -hmm. All right. Was the stubbing of the toe done out of ignorance or out of delusion? Probably delusion because I. It was delusion because yeah. you thought you knew your way to the bathroom and you didn't. <laughs> you did not know a safe way to the bathroom. You were deluded about that. OK, so that's the reason that we have that kind of understanding is and we need to understand it from uh, Western English point of view is that it's delusional that if we had been wisely ignorant that I don't know my way to the bathroom I would have turned a light on okay but I was ignorant uh, uh, not just ignorant I was deluded about my ignorance of the way to the bathroom and that's the problem. OK, so we ignorantly uh, delusionally remember things wrongly. We pile on, we file in fear, anguish, suffering, uh, victims, attitudes, all kinds of stuff into our, uh, uh, let us say, catch bucket of memory when we're children because we're not discriminating at all. Now that we're adults with the Dhamma, we can begin to discriminate what we're going to be putting into our memory banks, the new stuff. And we're also going to be piling enough new stuff on that it's going to completely cover over the old stuff. So that we don't get angry anymore because we don't pop anger right out of that memory bank. Mm -hmm. With any so, little noise yeah. that comes up. It's like thinking that you know something that you don't actually know that you that's, don't actually uh, know that's yeah. what politics is all about <laughs> yeah 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 mm -hmm. that's what lying is all about 
is to deceive someone to think that this is how it is when in fact it's not that way at all. And you want them to think that that's how it is, even if they're confronted with the truth, they'll still keep their delusion because they think they know. That's being closed-minded. And that's what causes politics. Gun control is one of the ways that some people are closed-minded. That's all in the press. And if everybody was open-minded about it, they'd solve the problem lickety-split. So, now that we've got that two-point of uh, Ajiva, the second one is the Sankara, which we've been talking about. That's the, uh, the memory banks. Then we have Venia, which is the consciousness from our senses. Then we have, uh, in the uh, traditional uh, Paticca Samapada is called Namarupa. Namarupa means that we, na make, we name the reality. There is something real, a rupa, and what we do with it is we name it, and by naming it, we're adding something to it, right? And that's what we do, That's the, and by naming it, that's what, in fact, uh, in English would be the word perception. We perceive things. We give it a name. Where did we get the name? Right out of our trash bin, memory. <laughs> that's where that name comes from so instead of seeing something new as raw we see it with its name we've identified it we understand what it is so this is the the nama rupa and the, uh, the meaning right of the, the meaning the meaning i give to uh right the exactly the nama is or the naming is actually the meaning we give things meaning when, in fact, by themselves, in and of themselves, they don't mean anything. And so it's just you... a chariot only means chariot when you add the meaning chariot to that pile of sticks and wood. Yes. Yeah. But so you have to to see the meaning and the reality both instead of seeing it as one, right? Precisely. Like you, so it takes. Mm -hmm. to start to unravel this automatic naming process is what we're practicing doing eventually, okay? Uh, and so that naming process, we come up with a name, now the name impacts us, not the actual item. The meaning of it is what impacts us, not the actual event. And, yes. and the meaning of it is what we just made up. Yeah. We so just we made that meaning up, and we so made we it up choose. out of our old garbage bag of meanings. Mm -hmm. And so we pulled out some old meaning out of the garbage bag that we made up long ago and apply it to the present moment. Unconsciously. Yeah. Right, and so that's what impacts us. We get hit by that, that meaning. And that meaning then kicks off the feelings. And so we have these three kinds of feelings, and the feelings then go from I like it, I want it, into I've got to have it. That's the full-blown clinging, okay? The clinging is in the Buddhist scriptures of four kinds. The, the clinging of four kinds is clinging to the self, clinging to materialism, 
clinging to rights, rules, rituals, and the ways that things to be done, and clinging to ideas and perceptions and uh, not perceptions, but ideas and views or concepts. These three, these four things actually very, very closely fit modern science for instincts. The first instinct is the clinging to the self. That's the self-preservation instinct, and we all have it. It's kept us alive. That's the and this language is the language of fear. That's the motivating language, or that's the motivating uh, feeling that we all have is the motivation of fear. That's why we have punishments is to make people afraid of them so that you can control them. Or you'll deny them services. If they don't vote for you or uh, they they will be afraid of all of those foreigners. We're going to make sure that they're afraid of the foreigners so that they'll vote for us. OK, this is the kind of thing that happens at that at that level. Uh, of selfishness because it's all based in fear. But that that self-preservation mechanism has three daughters or three companions. One of them is referred to as the procreation instinct and a Western mindset immediately goes to sex. But procreation actually means the manufacture of almost anything, not just babies, an axe, a knife, a bow, a loincloth, a tent, whatever it is, we we procreated that. We we made it, we manufactured it, and then we cling to it as if it were mine. Make a part of you, yeah. Mm -hmm. The next one is the uh, normally referred to as the next nesting instinct or the uh, herding instinct. Where in the herding instinct, you got to go along to get along. You got to your safest place is in the middle of the herd. But if you're in the middle, you don't have much control over where you're going to go. <laughs> you're out of control, but at least you're safe. This is the herding instinct or the nesting instinct, which means that if you're making noise in the nest, uh, the gorilla nest or the monkey nest, and you're the baby making the noise, the big gorilla is going to throw you out of that nest because he doesn't want the panthers to find out where the nest is. You've got to do what you're told to do when you're in the nest. This is all of our rights, rules, rituals, and to be a human being, we've got a ton of them. You'd be surprised at how many rules you adhere to, maybe hundreds of thousands of ideas about how you're supposed to do stuff. Probably, right? yeah. <laughs> OK, and so that's one of the modes of clinging that we have is by clinging to our rights, rules, rituals or the way that things supposed to be. And it comes right out of our instincts. And that's also why it's so ignorant is because it's automatic behavior. We as children go along to get along without actually computing and reasoning things out. We uh, uh, there is, in fact, the, the idea of the age of reason. How old does a child has to be before he can reason things? Because before that, he just accepts whatever garbage is fed to him without any reason at all. Yeah. So, so maybe it's a pretty wise idea to have the child have a very early age of reason 
so that he can begin to reason some things out when he's really, really young, rather than just accepting that all dogs are bad because one jumped on me. Mm -hmm. Okay, so that's a very interesting way of understanding uh, that rights, rules, and rituals, is that we make decisions and hold that stuff as rules long before we were old enough to reason things out for ourselves. Now that we can reason things out for ourselves, we have a different set of rules. And the new rule set is one rule. In fact, the Buddha gives you just one rule. Do you know what that one rule is? Dukkha, awesome Dukkha Naroda. That's <laughs> yeah. the only rule we've got. Let's stop having Dukkha right now. That's the only rule that we need. All the other rules we can investigate. Is that rule worth having or not? Mm -hmm. Okay. okay, so the last one of this group is the territorial instinct, and it, with dogs, they know where their physical territory is. Humans, we don't understand that concept of territory. Yes, we do, because we have things like uh, property rights, ownership of land, and deeds, so we are very, very territorial. My house, not your house, that kind of stuff. But we also make a giant leap into intellectual territory. Like I am a Democrat, or I am a Republican, or I am a, a social Democrat, or I am a, a liberal, or I am a Christian, or I am a Jew, or I am a this, that, or the other thing, that I am stuff is the identification with things that define who we are in our territory and that everything outside of my territory then is naturally out of bounds and dangerous. And so if we identify as white, then everything brown is dangerous. If I identify brown, then everything white is dangerous. If I yeah. identify as human, nobody's dangerous. Because we're all the same and it doesn't matter about color. So that color distinction was a decision that the child made before he was at the age of reason. That's where racism is taught. It's taught. And it's taught at such a young age that uh, by the time we're adults, we're just automatically racist without reasoning through that there's no reason to be racist. And so we keep these old belief systems. That's the Sankara. But we can, in fact, intentionally change that. We can, and one of the ways, by the way, of doing that would be by travel, by actually yeah. going to other cultures and see other people and recognize that they're just like you. Doesn't matter what kind of clothes they wear, doesn't matter what kind of expression, doesn't matter what color face they have or anything like that. We all suffer in union. So that's a really good thing is for travel to get around to see. Or like that little girl, let her be with that puppy for a new puppy for a while as she's an adult. So she can see now that the dog is not dangerous the way that it was when she was two years old. The things have changed now. Okay. So getting so, exposed to the, the thing we fear and gathering more information, right? To see how it is even more. Exactly so. Yeah. Exactly okay. so. 
the psychiatrists do that. Uh, one of them is the, the, the fear of spiders and the fear of snakes. So Maybe let us say he's got a client that's got the fear of spiders. And so yeah. after we talk about it a while, the psychiatrist says, by the way, I've got a pet spider. Yeah, he's a beautiful spider. I stroke him and he likes it and all of that kind of stuff. Do you want to see my spider? <laughs> well, think about yeah. it. I mean, I, I'll just show him to you, but he'll be safe. Maybe you'll see the spider. Okay. Well, I happen to have the spider right here in my pocket. <laughs> well, the spider's been in my pocket and you're safe. Here, let me pull the spider out. And as I pull the spider out, it happens to be a rubber spider. <laughs> but it's only a rubber spider. But look at the spider. If you can hold a rubber spider, maybe you can get uh, stop thinking about how dangerous real spiders are. And so it's a gradual, gradual process of introducing someone to their phobia. And then they and something will happen. And the, why did I have so much fear about spiders? Why was yeah. I afraid of snakes? Why am I afraid of people in turbans or people in baggy pants? <laughs> <laughs> I had an experience like this the other day. I went uh, hiking and I went uh, in a cave. So there was a big spider and I'm afraid of spiders. So I noticed that I was so afraid I had to, 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 to go out. Because um, it was just uh, about uh, like up a, I, I could touch it if I, if I went through. So I just went out and I was scared. And then I realized that I wasn't even scared of the spider itself. It was just about the story I was telling myself uh, about the spider that was scary. Ah, uh, that your thoughts about that. But when you first saw that spider, you stopped. Go back. <laughs> yes, when you first looked at that spider, you stopped looking at the spider and started thinking about something that happened in the past, and that's what you planted on to this spider. You didn't see yeah, this I, spider. Yeah. You had a memory of an old spider instead. So that's exactly mm -hmm. the teaching that the Buddha is giving with this teaching of the five aggregates and Paticca Samuppada. There was so, no danger. It was just ignorance. And, uh, it was yeah. just ignorance. There was no danger. And not only ignorance, it was delusional ignorance. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah, yeah. It was delusional ignorance. So this, this is where clinging then in the teaching of the Buddha leads to the, um, of the development of the self. That it is me who becomes afraid of spiders. So that fear comes up, that self-preservation instinct is now fully in gear, right? Mm -hmm. yeah. And that selfishness is what leads us into dukkha. That's the suffering, is selfishness. Selfishness and dukkha are very, very closely related, but inherently in the body, the feelings, the mind, the mind's objects, and our memory system, there is no self there. We create the self in a state of misery. That's the suffering. So that's all 12 steps now. From Ajiva, Sankara, Vinaya, Namarupa, Salayatana, Pasa is the contact, Vedana is the feeling, um, Upadana, excuse me, Tanha is the grasping, uh, the clinging is uh, 
uh, Upadana, so Tanha, Upadana, then Bhava, the beginning of the self, uh, Jati, the selfishness, which is the suffering. The last point about this then is the four woeful states. That the, the, the Buddha uh, used the four woeful states that the, um, the Hindus or the Brahmins had been using for, for centuries. That is hell, the state of a ghost, the state of a dumb animal, the state of um, uh, the Asuras or the, uh, the Titans, the, the, let us say the warlords of the heavenly realms. A lot of people just say, oh, it's heaven. No, it's a particular state of heaven. So these woeful states, hell is nothing but our anger, our anguish, our uh, being in a state that we really don't like. We don't like being this way, agitated, worried. That's the state of hell. The state of hungry ghost is wanting something that we don't have. The hungry ghost is the one who has a very, very small mouth, but a great big fat belly, and he cannot get enough just cannot get enough that's the woeful state okay the third state is the one that's the most common in our society and that is the idea of being that dumb animal that comes out of the nesting instinct of doing what we're told to do because we're afraid of getting into trouble and so we regulate our society based upon that look how many dumb animals that are walking around still wearing clothing <laughs> they're so dumb they don't even know that they're just dumb animals they think they're human but they're not they're dumb animals because they're always doing what they were told to do they're following some rule or something so when you're out there following the rules doing what you're told to do the buddha will put you in that woeful state of just being a dumb animal now here's the thing about dumb animals there, uh, I saw this in India when I was there. There was a donkey that was tied to a long pole, and that pole then was attached to a, um, oh, maybe two-foot big grinding stone. And that donkey had to walk around in a circle around that grinding stone to turn that grinding stone. Nowadays, I'm absolutely sure that that man, even if he's still alive or maybe his son, he don't have that donkey anymore. They've got an electric motor to do this job. That that donkey, all he did was the job of an electric motor to turn that stone around and around and around while the man put sugarcane stalks into that thing. And out comes on the sides is all the pulp and the juice comes out that little lip and he hands that, uh, he puts it in a glass and he sells it for 10 rupees, right? How much of that sugarcane juice did that donkey get? Yeah, no. <laughs> None. No, he might have gotten the 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 shaft after after the the juice and the sugar was extracted. Yeah, that's that's our employment. When yeah. you take a job, any boss is going to hire you only because he thinks he can make money out of you being there. Of course, yeah. Right. If he can't make money out of you being there, he doesn't want you there. He doesn't want to pay your salary. So that means then that no one is making what they're worth. That donkey did not make what he was worth. Mm -hmm. None of us do. Since we're not getting what we're worth, why do we bother to do anything at all? Why can't I just sit here and be happy instead <laughs> of out there working for the man and letting him get the benefit? <laughs> mm -hmm. so much for the employment 
and everyone's employed. Why are we employed? Because we're dumb animals. We're put to work. Perhaps someday when AI really gets its legs, we won't need any transportation. We won't need any farm workers. We won't need any manufacturing people or anything like that because the machines will do it all. And then what are people going to do with their dumb animal time? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's going to be interesting. <laughs> right. yeah. Okay. Well, let's draw this conversation to a close. I think that we've gotten a pretty good handle on it because we've gotten from uh, Upadana to uh, from, from Tanha, Upadana to uh, Baba to Jati to Dukkha. That's how it ends. It's just like that. And this whole sequence in the mind can take only a few moments, just a few mind moments. These things can happen really fast. And so yep. Bhikkhu Buddhadasa leaves us with something. And that is his point about wisdom at the point of contact. In other words, we're going to start not with how do we think, but how do we feel about how we think? Because we begin, we can already think what we want to when we remember to think what we want to. This is in Anapanasati is why we gladden the mind. Because if we gladden the mind, we can teach the students, you can control the way you feel. Yeah. Because it is the Salayatana that causes the Vedana. If we can start putting some good Salayatana in there, we can come up with some wise Vedana. So this is the point that we're practicing at, at with Anapanasati is wise feelings. Can you have wise feelings? That's a good point to start. Later, when we gain skills, we'll back up right into perception and consciousness. But for the beginning, we want to start with feelings. Can you begin to manage your feelings? Can you, in fact, feel the way you want to feel? Okay, yeah. You can. Because, in fact, you have been feeling the way that you wanted to yeah. feel. You just didn't know that, <laughs> that yeah. it was all a matter of just an old habit that was built up mm. out so, of our childhood. Yeah. Now that I see that I give the meaning, I can give the meaning I want to get the feeling I want. Uh, you can have the feeling that you want to have by having the, the thoughts. Yeah. Mm. Okay. So for now, and I just, keep practicing like this, right? Mm -hmm. And uh, also at that feeling of liking, make sure that you like it, That's but you right. don't want it. You don't have to want it. Yeah. Or another one would be to be satisfied with not getting what you want. Mm -hmm. That's a really uh, late kind of issue, but it's, that's a good place for many people to start is learn to be satisfied without getting what you want, because look at all the stuff you want that you're not ever going to get. <laughs> I want to be a handsome man. That's not going to happen. I want to be 25. That's not going to happen. I want a Mercedes. Well, no, I, that's not going to happen either. <laughs> I want a Harley Davidson. No, not really. <laughs> right? So when we stop wanting things that we can't have, that's progress. But sometime along the way, we have to become satisfied knowing that we're not going to get what we want. We're just not going to get it. Actually, You'll be okay. Yeah, we kind of do because what we want is the feeling of having it. So if you can have the feeling right now, you don't care about uh, having exactly. the material bondage. I mean, 
Absolutely. That's yeah. <laughs> Anna, that's, that's it. That's it. You've got it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So let's finish now. And this is really right. great. I'm I'm glad that we had this this conversation. This is a good yes. It's very good. Thank you for for this talk. All right. <laughs> Okay, so now you can incorporate this into your into your practice. You can begin to see what you've been practicing with Anapanasati. Now we're just doing it with a little more understanding about the process that's going on, that we really can change the way that we feel. That what we thought was out of um, out of control. It's not. We actually talked ourselves into feeling that way. With our liking and not liking. Yes. So go play with this. This is a marvelous new this. toy I've given you. <laughs> <laughs> it is. <laughs> All right. Thank you, Demarco. Okay. We'll see you later. Bye bye. See you. Bye bye.